You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, you're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast this morning with me, Carnegie, Evie, Fung and Genevieve. How is everyone? Good morning. Good morning. Pretty good. Yeah, really good. It's not that cold today. Are you serious? I yeah. was freezing this morning. <laughs> there was ice on my car. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't too bad. Like, I, I wasn't wearing a coat, which was okay. Like, I've still got two layers. But I just, I feel like there's a change in the air. It's finally starting to get um, a little bit warmer now. So, fingers crossed, um, we finally get um, a change in the weather coming up. Um, speaking of which... It's mostly sunny in 16 today, which is very exciting. Um, I I think that warrants another walk down Merry Creek for me this morning. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to make the most of the sun these days. I um, found a cafe near my house that the front window is in direct sunlight because my apartment faces the other way. Mm. So I've been... Living for it, wrapping <laughs> it up, just like a cat stretched out in front of the window, yeah, exactly. just like elbowing at anyone else who tries to go for that seat. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just wanted to say that on the weekend I went to the Black Palestinian um, Poetry Night at Multicultural Hub that was run by um, Road to Refuge, um, and it was so incredible. Um, like, well, I was in awe of all the all the, all the poets who performed there um and i know that the performances have been um recorded and been broadcast on um salam uh radio here at 3cr um so if you are interested please um check it out because it was really great yeah it sounded Mm. amazing it Mm. looked really good yeah it was really good so um there was a, a mix of um first nations and palestinian poets um, including Sama Sabawi, um, Lana Yuk, Lujane Harani, and Tony Birch. And it was, the MC was, um, Michaela Saha. So, um, yeah, definitely check it out if you can. Mm. Absolutely will. Did anyone else do anything exciting? Um, nothing much for me this week. I'm actually on holidays at the moment. So mm-hmm. I'm enjoying doing a lot of nothing. Amazing. <laughs> a lot of lying around, watching bad TV, um, and catching up on some books and things, but it, it's been quite nice to have a little bit of warmer weather in there to yeah. actually enjoy that. Yeah, I moved house for like the millionth time, <laughs> <laughs> like literally the millionth time, like in a year. Is it going to be weird to not be moving for some time? It feels weird to unpack my stuff mm. and to just be like, cause, well, my, my stuff was in storage for a little bit, but yeah, I... <laughs> Like, you think you get better at it in terms of moving and, like, getting everything into the new place, but, like, it's just still so complicated. No, (laughs) it doesn't get any... Like, you're just like, okay, in the back of your head, you're like, maybe I won't unpack this in case you have to move again. Yeah, yeah. And, like, 
just I hired literally an assortment of different things. I didn't like just do the one thing at once. It was like I'll get a van for this, and then I'll get a Ute for the fridge. And then I'll, it was just I just made it so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time I moved, um, we decided to just get a skip to like throw half our stuff out because I was like, I, I've, we've moved four times already. I don't want to move any of this yeah. anymore. Mm, yeah, it gets to the stage where you just like literally look at stuff and you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Into the bin it goes. <laughs> um, what's coming up on the show today? Yeah, we have a jam-packed show actually. Um yeah. Um, so first up, we have a neighbour of Louise Good, who's a 65-year-old Thornbury neighbor, uh, resident who's being forcefully uh, evicted from her home by social housing enterprise. Um, it's a really shocking story. She's been fighting to keep her house for quite some time now. So we're going to be speaking to one of her neighbours, Sean, who is... Uh, one of the neighbourhood residents who's organising to keep Louise home. Um, and then I've got an interview with Ruby from Refugee Action Coalition, and we're going to talk about the recent High Court decision, AJL 20, um, which essentially has found that indefinite administrative detention is lawful. Um, so, yeah, awful news. Um, uh, and we're just going to unpack that a little bit um, just so that our listeners can understand what that means for asylum seekers and refugees um, in in this country who are trying to, yeah, I guess like flee danger and and, and make a like a life for themselves here. But the government um, uh, and I guess now other institutions are making that a hard, if not impossible. So yeah, that's a dreadful precedent. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, and we've also got audio from uh, last week. Uh, some people, some listeners might know that yesterday was the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. So James McKenzie from 3CR's In Your Face spoke to veteran queer activist Alison Thorne, who discussed uh, Radical Women's inclusive celebration of the anniversary of Stonewall. So she also talks a bit about uh, the book Feminism, Transgender Liberation and the Stonewall Rebellion. Mm, that'd be cool. Um, and finally, we've got an interview from uh, with Lauren um, Colosimo from Channel 31. Um, Lauren is a producer at, at Channel 31, and we're going to talk about um, the challenges that the community TV station has faced in the last few years and, and celebrate the fact that they've just had their licence re- extended for three years, which is amazing. Um, and so we'll be talking about that. Yeah. Great, so um, stay tuned. We'll be back right after this message. Hi, this is Isaac, and I'm talking to you from a tree seat 40 meters high in the Arinandra Plateau. I'm here with other activists because we want to stop what Big Forest is planning to do, which is to destroy 60 new areas in one of the last refuges of Amben Forest in East Gippsland. We're calling the state government to protect all ambient areas of East Gippsland. If you want to get involved, contact gecko at gecko.org.au and join the campaign. A 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast with 3CR um, and we're back with the news headlines. 
No, you (laughs) You go first. No, I was going to say the biggest news this morning is that now we can finally have a have a chance to get a vaccine that's exactly what i was thinking. <laughs> can you believe it i'm just really excited about yeah. vaccines <laughs> it's, it's like 18 months into the pandemic and we're like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah breaking it down though yeah it was yesterday that uh scott morrison revealed uh australia's coronavirus vaccination program so uh, the Pfizer is still the recommended vaccine for Australians uh, under the age of 60 with states and territories now allowing people aged between 40 and 59 to book for the Pfizer. But the AstraZeneca uh, has been earmarked for Australians over the age of 60 uh, due to the, I would have to emphasize this, rare blood clotting um uh, disorders that can be linked to the vaccine, but the AstraZeneca is available to under 40s. Uh, you just have to go to your GP. Yep, you can just go to your GP and get uh, medical approval from your doctor. Um, the National Cabinet also agreed to implement a new, implement a new no-fault indemnity scheme for GPs, which seems... If you've got a vaccine available, GPs should not be responsible for dispensing right. it anyway. I was it that seems and very silly. That exact thought. And <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it reads like you have to sort of sign a, sign away uh, something. <laughs> and, and just to emphasise again, Australia is the only country in the world that is doing this sort of rollout. Um, pretty ridiculous. Another great thing, though, that has come through, which once again you think would be at the start of the vaccine rollout. Vaccinations will now be mandatory for all residential aged care workers across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so the requirement will be only enforced from mid-September as this can't happen overnight, by which point workers will need to have had at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. So the Commonwealth has signed off on an $11 million grant program for aged care providers to cover leave required for workers to go and get vaccinated, as well as for any sick leave following the jab. Again, this is something that is now only being mandated after it was discovered that multiple aged care homes were not um, implementing schemes to have their workers vaccinated. And considering how many hundreds of aged care residents died last year mm-hmm. in care from COVID, it's shocking. Yeah. Absolutely. And some of the stats as well, they, they put out a graph I'm sure this graph has been floating around for a while. But in terms of the vaccination doses, the percentage of the population being vaccinated and that compared to the rest of the world. And Australia literally sits very close to the bottom of the scale. Um, Israel has something like nearly 60% of their population is vaccinated. Um, The US isn't far behind, I think under 50% for the US and the UK. But, yeah, Australia, like, literally, if you look at this graph, it's, like, insane. I think we're, the, we're either one of the lowest or the lowest in OECD nations, yeah. which is embarrassing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a bunch of other um, announcements re- regarding quarantine. So post-quarantine tests will be mandatory for all return travels across all jurisdictions, um, the travellers in quarantine facilities will be split up based on a risk assessment of their origin destination, so depending on their country or state. Um, and state and territory leaders have agreed to make it mandatory to vaccinate all quarantine workers once again. How is that not a requirement? Yeah, I saw in that the as first well, and I was like, wait, 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 that wasn't actually happening. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, it, it's very much a, an announcement of things that should have happened six months ago, which is a, a, a very relieving thing for all Australians, I think. For sure. <laughs> my, my grandmother in San Francisco has been vaccinated for like months now. Yeah, it, it's just really embarrassing to think yeah. of Australia, which has like a full healthcare, like subsidized healthcare system. Even I know people that aren't U.S. citizens in the U.S. and were vaccinated months ago. Like, yeah. Anyway, um, in other news, I just wanted to mention. I'm sure people might have seen this story floating around last week. But uh, the private school sector in Australia has uh, likely reaped hundreds of millions of dollars in extra government funding from JobKeeper and other schemes that are designed to support not-for-profits during the COVID-19 crisis, despite few recording any significant impact on their revenues. Uh, This was a survey that was done by The Guardian of a handful of schools which have reported their 2020 financial results early to the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, finds that roughly half have claimed JobKeeper and uh, slash or the 100,000 uh, dollar cash flow boost despite suffering little or no fall in their view uh, in their fee revenue. Um, this comes after specifically uh, reports of uh, Wesley uh, College in Victoria, uh, who offered parents fee discounts of 20% uh, last year after it received nearly 20 million dollars in JobKeeper subsidies. Uh, the school which charges some of the highest private school fees in Victoria gave its parents fee rebates, waived other costs and made a $5 million transfer to its scholarship fund after it received $18.2 million in JobKeeper last year. And it was the same thing for the King's School, I think, in Sydney. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean... <laughs> Just a reminder again, no public university received JobKeeper. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, like there's a few schools in Sydney. There's Mariah College mm-hmm. as well and St. Leonard's, which describes itself as the school of choice, <laughs> as reported by the Guardian. <laughs> yeah, the, this, the King's School ch- charges more than $40,000 a year for day boys and up to $28,000 for more boarding. Um, had seen its other income in 2020 jump by more than eight and a half million to just over ten million dollars. Like, yeah, I reading this report, I'm just like shocked. Like, the sheer amount of disparity already between private and public mm-hmm. school and education um, is already so big. So, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, shocking. It, 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 the one thing that it comes, like, I always think about when it comes to offering people financial assistance, I'm like, I'm a big fan of just giving everyone the assistance and then reviewing it when it comes to tax time, because that is the easiest way to do it. That was the same way in which Kevin Rudd uh, was able to give people stimulus. Mm-hmm. But when you see these discrepancies in who gets what, um, and, you know, thinking about the individuals that have suffered during the pandemic, even like aside from JobKeeper, but just job seekers in general, mm. disabled people, you know, who weren't able to get money. Um, and then to see the privilege and the power that people have, it's, yeah, extremely disconcerting. And to like just assume that they're not like, you know, people aren't going to be penalised for it either. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, on that, um, you know, and it's something that this article that The Guardian wrote 
uh, also says that it's not suggesting that the schools uh, that claim JobKeeper or received other forms of government support have done anything wrong. It is, however, criticising the design of JobKeeper mm, yeah, because it absolutely. required recipients to demonstrate a downturn in turnover for only a short period to receive the payment. Mm. So I guess that's kind of the fault that they're focusing mm, on. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, the, the entire structure of JobKeeper to give it to employers was flawed from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It should have been given directly oh, to workers. Definitely, definitely. I feel like there was a lot in the news recently about Harvey Norman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not willing to pay it back. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, I actually think that, yeah, I understand, like, it is a it is a welfare payment for the for the payment of workers and mm. you know workers shouldn't have to pay it back um and i think every business should have been like in like you know entitled to claim it on behalf of their workers but of course the the structure of it being flawed means that you know some businesses do like you know were able to show enough means to show the downturn and businesses and schools and universities who had clear downturn and inability to pay mm-hmm. employees just weren't able to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's literally designed so com- uh, businesses, corporations, companies, whatever, keep their staff on and don't fire them or don't um, get rid of them because they can't afford to. Like JobKeeper keeps them there, keeps them employed until they're able to become fully employed again when I guess the economy was going to be fully opened up. So that's literally the point of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, one last thing for um, today's news. Um, as I mentioned earlier, yesterday was the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Um, Stonewall UK um, have been posting quite a bit on their social media channels just about the history of the riots. I think this is really important history for um, both queer people and their allies to learn about because sometimes, you know, with a bit of distance in the rearview mirror, sometimes people forget the origins of what it means to partake in a pride parade. Mm. And, you know, I know the common refrain is that, you know, pride started as a riot. This is the riot of 1969. It's a very pivotal moment in history. Um, and it started during a police raid on the Stonewall Inn. So the LGBTQ community resisted and fought back. And amongst those at the forefront were trans women, Marsha P. Johnson, Silva Riviera and Storm Dilavari. And it's really important for us as the next generation to acknowledge and learn that history. Mm. Um, so we've got that interview that I mentioned today and I really encourage um, all our listeners to have a read, have a listen to um, a lot of the programs that we've got on 3CR's programming this week as well. Yeah, and, and a few um, weeks ago we had um, an interview on our show as well about Midsummer and um, the push to not include yes. the police and kind of a discussion about how corporate it's all become and that links to this as well. Um, it's important to remember, I think, the roots of where these protests came from. They Absolutely. Don't they don't include the police yeah. or, or corporations. New, New York Pride, this was their first year of not having police yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and it is something um, that uh, various community organisations um, are wanting to have with Midsummer in the lead up to next year uh, about the uh, questioning the presence of police um, and what it means to have uniformed officers there and the impact that has on the community. 
Definitely. Um, we will be right back after a couple of messages. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent, interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter. It's time to speak up, speak out and speak loud. From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence, introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter. We're just going to go to a quick track. Um, this song is called Put It On Hold by Moju. Never said that we were over, only said I need a minute. So I can get my shit together I've been dealing with some feelings Now you're acting like we're over You keep telling me we're finished You keep saying that your heart broke You project a different image You're up when I'm down I'm in when you're out We never make it work Put it on Just 
You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, and that was Put It On Hold with Moju. So coming up now, we have an interview with the neighbour of Louise Good, who is a 65-year-old Thornbury resident who has been forcibly evicted from her home and forced into homelessness since February this year by an organisation called Common Equity Housing Limited, who call themselves a social housing co-op. Uh, the possession order was voided, actually, by the Supreme Court of Victoria. However, CEHL has intruded on her property to board up her windows, set up fencing and cameras, and have also got security guards to harass locals as well as Louise. So community has come together in the past few months to defend Louise's right to stay in her home. Louise's fight has gone on for quite some time. Uh, and Sean is a, resi- is a renter in Thornbury and a resident who lives close by. Uh, he's a neighbour of Louise, and today he joins us to provide an update about the campaign to keep Louise home. Thanks for joining us, Sean. Uh, no problem. So how long has Louise been fighting this battle, and how did you come to find out about Louise's circumstances? So Louise has been uh, fighting this for uh, almost a decade now. Um, they've been trying to push her out of her home, uh, the fight's obviously ramped up since uh, the possession order was granted and they started to move to evict. Um, but I guess we've got some good news as of late um, in terms of the fight. That's good. Um, uh, so yeah, so uh, the, Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court voided this possession order, but CEHL continued to try to force Louise from her home. Um, so what kind of aggression tactics are they using? And also uh, I'd love to know about the good news as well. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, there's been regular security patrols. Uh, we've had some social media harassment from uh, people involved with the eviction. Um, it's hard to know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, you know, what's going on in CHL, what's going on with the state government. Um, it, it seems really confusing that uh, a social housing opportunity that's meant to house vulnerable people are pushing them to homelessness. Um but the good news is, is uh, Louise is home, um, and she's staying home, and she's been home for a few days. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. So um, has Darabin Council um, been at, at all helpful in this regard? So I know in March um, they passed a unanimous motion to acknowledge the circumstances of her attempted removal and to write to the head of CEHL, uh, as well as the housing registrar and the Victorian Minister for Housing, Richard Wynne, to intervene to ensure that all vulnerable citizens who have been part of modernising public housing um, don't become permanently homeless. So I was just wondering if they um, anything came of this and whether they had any part to play in um, keeping Louise home or whether that has been mostly due to um, the actions of her neighbours. Yeah. The Arizona City Council have been supportive uh, in terms of what they can do, um, which is not much, sadly. Uh, but, yeah, the local community support Louise, and that's reflected in the local government, thankfully. Um, but, yeah, sadly, there's not much action they can do. So most of the opposition has been grassroots direct action. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we have a lot of sympathy from the councillors, they sadly don't hold power. That's, you know, the Andrews government and the EHL. Mm-hmm. So what are the now that Louise is home, uh, are there any further demands in terms of um, getting her a new rental contract and making sure that she's able to stay in her home? So the campaign right now has four demands, uh, which is Louise must re- 
receive an official rental deed for 49 Newman Street laundry and protection from retaliation. Um, and that's just because of the history of abuse the state, DHL, has inflicted on the weave. Mm-hmm. Um, and have to be held culpable for this inter- intergenerational violence she's received as a forgotten Australian. Uh, additional demands include uh, we support the Homes Not Prisons campaign. Uh, we need to be spending more in public funding for public housing, schools, healthcare, not prisons. Um, and then permanent, safe, self-contained homes for all that meet people's cultural, social needs, regardless of their ability to pay. Uh, because, you know, there's, there's emergency housing for the least, but that's not enough. You know, she's had a home for 30 years. It, it, we, we want ha- homes, not houses. Yeah, um, absolutely. Are there any further demands that, um, that the, the community has in terms of um, protecting Louise or just protecting social housing and community residents in general and home, um, preventing homelessness in Darabin? Yeah, so, I mean, we want public housing to be the best housing. We want no landlords profiting off stolen Indigenous land. Um, and the only way we can do that is by building this action and, and defending against bullshit evictions. Um, so we can... Uh, write messages of solidarity to Louise, come out for the pickets. We've got social media pages to defend Louise's home. If you live nearby, follow defend Louise's home. Be ready for a call out to uh, defend the property. Yeah. So I know I understand that last night there was actually a community picket as well as, you know, just a, a friendly get-together to, um, um, to both show... Uh, solidarity for Louise and to show her that, like, you know, the community is there out in force for her. So how did that go? Oh, it was great. Um, we had a barbecue going, bad music, community came came around. We had good numbers. Um, and anyone who opposed Louise was told the message that they aren't welcome in our community. Uh, and Louise got another night at home, a nice, a nice rest. That's wonderful. That's great news. Um, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Uh, I ha- will put a link to the, in the show notes to um, all the social media pages um, to in order to keep Louise home. It's called Defend Louise's Home on Facebook. Um, Sean, thank you so much for speaking to us this morning. Thanks so much for the opportunity. <laughs> Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Hi, I'm Kutcher Edwards. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002, and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday, July the 5th to Friday, July the 9th for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcast. 
For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bar. Thoughts within, visions I see, daring to dream, my destiny. You're on Tuesday Breakfast with 3CR. Um, next up, we're going to play one of my favorite songs by Indigenous artist Emma Donovan, and it's called My Goodness.
Nuclear armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Banned School to learn more and be part of history in the making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enroll at icanw.org.au forward slash band school. That's icanw.org.au forward slash band school. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. That last song was Emma Donovan with My Goodness. We're going to play a conversation now that was broadcasted on 3CR program In Your Face, uh, which is presented by James McKenzie. James spoke to a veteran queer activist, Alison Thorne, who discusses a radical women's inclusive celebration of the anniversary of Stonewall. Uh, titled Feminism, Transgender Liberation and the Stonewall Rebellion. On Tuesday, June 29, via Zoom. This year the theme is Feminism, Transgender Liberation and the Stonewall Rebellion. And I spoke with Alison Thorne from Radical Women all about it. Thank you, James. It's great to be here. I think that those three concepts are incredibly interconnected and they're they're interconnected because the Stonewall Rebellion was itself led by trans women of colour and if we then look at transgender oppression, transphobia and we look at sexism we can actually see that the source of both women's oppression, gay oppression and trans oppression are all the same. And I was so excited when I discovered that. It's one of those things that was a real light bulb moment for me discovering that those things are actually linked and that in the earliest of human societies, the very, very earliest of human societies, women were, that they were matriarchal, the earliest societies, and they were communal. Women were incredibly important, were very powerful and were respected leaders. Sexuality was free. There was no taboo at all on same-sex sexual activity. And there wasn't the, the rigid gender binary. And it was only at a later stage when private property emerged that the ancient matriarchies were overthrown by patriarchy and when that happened it was not only the uh, world historic defeat of women as Frederick Engels uh, famously called it 
but it was also it, it also provided the basis for a taboo on homosexuality and the the, the introduction uh, of a more rigid gender binary. And so I see women's oppression and trans oppression completely interconnected. We, we, we can't separate them. And the, the Stonewall Rebellion was just one of those events in, in history where these things came together and it really sparked inquiry as people began looking for the answers. Tell us about your life when you made those links and the era that it was in. Well, yes, it's starting to sound like a, a, a long time ago now, but I came out in 1979 and I feel very lucky to have been a, a, a teenager and coming into adulthood in that period. I was studying at La Trobe University and I got involved in the, the, the campus gay group and it really was an era when the, the spirit of Stonewall lived. Like it really was, um, very much alive in 1979, 10 years after the, the, the Stonewall Rebellion, the, the radical ideas of gay liberation that Stonewall had unleashed had not yet been tamed. They were still there. They were still very vibrant. And so at the time when I was first getting involved, I was working with people, my mentors, my people who I learned from were the Stonewall generation and they were people who were fighting for complete liberation and they were people who were asking the question, why are gay men, lesbians, transgender people, women, what, like why are we oppressed? And when we begin asking those questions and uh, inquiring, we like it does um, get us to look at that longer view of history. And there's so much work that has been done by by feminist historians, by uh, queer historians, by um, Brilliant, brilliant people such as Leslie Feinberg, who wrote Transgender Warriors, people like Will Roscoe, who uncovered the, the two-spirit people in Native American societies and brought so many of their, their, their stories to light. So there's been incredible radical histories and anthropology which have really um, brought to light uh, a lot of that more hidden hidden history. So it really was a very inspiring time, and the the answers that I found when I I first got involved they made such sense to me, and they 
the, well, they made me basically into a lifelong Marxist feminist because once you learn these things and you really understand where this oppression has come from, you can't really unlearn it. That was a conversation that James McKenzie had with Alison Thorne, uh, who is a veteran queer activist, about uh, the celebration of the anniversary of Stonewall. Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, IPAN, has launched a national people's inquiry into the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in the US-led wars, the US alliance and its alternatives. The inquiry aims to promote a national conversation and is currently inviting submissions from organisations and individuals. The great majority of Australians have never been asked about this alliance its implications and its limitations, which has led to an uncritical foreign policy. It's time this changed. To make a submission, go to independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. That's independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. Submissions close on the 31st of July. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. We're going to go to a track now by um, some artists that I've really been loving. They're kind of reached their peak in the early 2000s, but um, uh, they're the French duo Les Nubions. This is one of their most popular tracks called Makita. Des mythes perdus, des passages de l'histoire. 
Just playing in the background is Makida by Les Nubians. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast and the time is 7.50. The High Court has uh, recently upheld the government's appeal against AJL20 that had released a Syrian refugee whose detention was found to be unlawful. The 4-3 decision has found that indefinite administrative detention is lawful. Um, so here to explain AJL20 to us and talk about the repercussions of this High Court decision is Ruby from Refugee Action Coalition. Welcome to the show, Ruby. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So AJL20 is actually a, a pseudonym for a specific case. Um, would you mind telling us a bit more about this person's situation? Yeah, sure. Um, so AJL20 um, was a, is a Syrian refugee who came to Australia um, as a child in 2005. And in 2014, um, after a criminal conviction, he had his um, visa cancelled um, under Section 501. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was detained um, in immigration detention um, as he did not have a visa anymore um, for the, the purposes deporting him from Australia. Um, yeah, so, you know, and I, I do know that uh, in the time, um, well, they did actually find that his um, detention uh, was actually deemed unlawful um, late last year. Um, could you tell us why that was uh, or what the reason was for that? Yeah, so... Um a case was brought in the Federal Circuit Court arguing that, um, you know, the, the purpose of detention um, was for the removal and as he could not be um, deported back to Syria where he was, you know, a genuine refugee with well-founded fears of persecution um, and that there would be a serious risk of harm, um, the kind of option for him there was you know, if, if there was no visa granted, was for him to remain in indefinite detention. Um, so the, the Federal Circuit Court found that, you know, um, there, there had been no reasonable attempt to deport him. He couldn't be deported back. Therefore, he, you know, the, the purposes for his detention um, had, you know, expired and he should be released into the community um, yeah, and then free from indefinite detention, essentially. Yeah, so um, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that uh, is called habeas corpus, I think. Um, yeah. When, when detainees are, are, um, are then released um, into the community. Um, and so what happened recently in, in the High Court, because the federal government did um, appeal uh, this, federal, um, uh, this federal court decision, so where does it sit now? 
Yeah, so they um, appealed it straight to the High Court and we received um, a judgment um, just, you know, recently um, after the, the hearing was, you know, a little while ago. Um, and the, the High Court um, actually found that um, the kind of detention is lawful until the actual event of their removal from Australia or the granting of a visa. Um, so, you know, it kind of ignored the fact that it's not possible to deport this man back to Syria because we have obligations to, you know, not send refugees back to places they fear harm. Yeah. Um, but also the, the government refuses to grant him a visa. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't matter that those two things can't happen. Um, until his, that, that does happen, then his detention is lawful, according to the High Court. That just seems so hectic, like to willfully detain someone um, and then, you know, not do anything about it, whether that's grant this person a visa or or send them back. Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, the government's preference to not send people back, to, uh, you know, to a place where they, um, you know, would be in danger, um, but then to keep them locked up in essentially a prison... Um, I, like, it just doesn't make any sense, really. Yeah, it kind of just entrenches the policy of indefinite detention we have here in Australia. You know, there's a lot of people in many different circumstances um, who face prospects of never being released simply because they're refugees and the government has no solution for them. You know, we see it in mm. offshore detention. Um, there's a number of people... Um, in like detention onshore as well, who have either had their visa cancelled under Section 501 or have um, you know adverse ASIO assessments who are, who are never going to be released. Um, and it's yeah, it's just absolutely disgusting that people come here seeking protection and you know they 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 do the crime, they spend the time in you know prison, and now their detention you know stuff is denied. They've, they're going to be in there for yeah. Who knows how- Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, just touching on that, like, um, you know, regardless of um, any sort of criminal conviction, I mean, um, here we're all for, you know, prison abolition anyway, but oh, even yeah. still, like, um, you know, uh, we don't have any, we're not giving these people any support, we're not being proactive and pre- preventative, um, you know, we're... Um, what what actual services are we offering to refugees and asylum seekers to ensure that they are, um, you know, making a smooth transition into the community? Um, yeah, uh, I don't see how, you know, the um, Australian government at um, any level really is is providing um, providing uh, refugees and asylum seekers with with um, with safety and with meaningful support um, at every yeah. level. Yeah, no, it's it's really quite awful. I mean, I, I can't even comprehend being, you know, like, you know, if you get a, a prison sentence, there's a, an end date, but this is just indefinite. You know, you, you never know when you're going to be released. And I think it's just an absolute shame that this is part of our immigration system and it goes unchallenged by both major parties, really. Yeah, so how does this relate to um, the recent amendment to the Migration Act that was, I think, passed by um, by both parties, by both major parties recently? Yeah, so um, I guess it was it was in response to the Federal Circuit Court's um, 
determination um, and in anticipation of the High Court um, outcome, they, they rushed through um, a amendment to the Migration Act mm. um, that they kind of claimed was to um, clarify Australia's protections um, around non-refoulement, so not to send people back to where they um, fear harm. Um, but really what it does is just entrenches these um, indefinite detention situations. Mm. Um, you know, it's not actually protecting refugees at all. It's just creating a situation where, you know, people owe protection, um, but they're not granted a, a visa. You know, this law says they actually can't be sent back. Um, so, yeah, it's an absolute shame that Labor continued their, you know, 20-year history of bipartisanship for, for these anti-refugee laws. Um, and, yeah, absolute shame. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really important to remember. Um, you know, I think sometimes Labor Party um, tries to distinguish itself, you know, as, as the opposition and, and different from the Liberal Party, but they do um, and they have supported the, um, you know, the detention of, of asylum seekers and refugees, both onshore and offshore, for quite a long time. Um, what does this uh, High Court decision mean for AJL20? Because um, I know that... Um, he had been released after the federal court decision. Does this change anything for him? Um, yeah, so ALJ20 has um, you know, been living in the community since he was released from detention, um, and unfortunately he is now going to be re-detained um, you know, and until he's either deported or um, you know, receives a visa. That's, that's his situation now. It's just, you know, really awful situation. Imagine having freedom for nine months only to have that taken away by these kind of higher powers that control your life. I can't even imagine. Yeah, right now. Definitely, and and you know, I know that the pseudonym AJL Twenty is used to protect you know the identity of this of this person, but at the same time, you know, it it it, it must feel so dehumanising for all these. Um, politicians and and judges and people who work in these these institutions to sort of just discuss you know the um minute details of your life and and refer to you you know under this code of like numbers and letters like and i know it's there to protect people and their identity but also it it feels quite dehumanizing in a sense to to pick apart this person's life and and refer to him, refer to them as as if they're simply like a code. Um, uh, I know that there were other um, refugees and asylum seekers who were um, who were released under you know habeas corpus. Um, does that is that going to be the same for them? Like, will they be sent back to detention as well um, now that this decision has been made? Um, I'm actually not sure about the situation. For I, those were um, medivac refugees who came to Australia um, for the purpose of receiving medical treatment. Right, yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I actually can't comment on that because I'm not sure about um, what that means for them, but hopefully they're not re-detained as well. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, I mean, sometimes you feel quite, uh, you know, just as the, a member of the community, you feel quite helpless, um, you know, reading this in the news. Is there anything that we um, can do to to support people um, who are seeking asylum in this country? Yeah, I think, like, for me, this kind of legal palaver has kind of really reinforced the fact that 
um, you know, we're never going to achieve justice through the court for these people, you know, that they're still the institutions of this system we live under. Um, you know, there's no kind of separation of the powers when the government hears a decision that they don't like. They just make laws to circumvent it. So that, mm. that's not the avenue that we're going to receive justice. So I think for me, it kind of has really driven home that, that it's, it's process that work. It's, you know, movements that, that change these kinds of laws. And, you know, we've seen that in recent times. There was an amazing um, campaign a couple of years off. Uh, sorry, years ago, um, Kids Off Now Rue that saw, you know, all the kids brought to Australia. Um, so, yeah, I guess if, you, if you're passionate about this, you want to support refugees, get involved with um, local activist groups like there's RACs in um, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane that you can get involved with who organise protests and discussion forums around these issues. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I suggest. Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, that's a great suggestion. Um, well, thank you so much, Ruby, for for joining us today. I know that um, sometimes by trying to understand, um, you know, uh, these laws and you know the legal terminology can be quite um, it's quite challenging and quite complex. So, thank you so much for coming on the show to explain that to us. Thanks so much for having me. Hopefully, I did an okay job of explaining the complications of this case. <laughs> you did. Thanks again, Ruby. Thank you. Bye. Bye. More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. Online and nationwide, right across Australia from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival's Documentary Month showcases the best local and international documentaries. Check out the incredible lineup at mdff.org.au, cinemanova.com.au and watch.eventive.org forward slash mdff and book your tickets and streams today. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's uh, 8.04 and you're listening to 3CR Breakfast. Uh, If you just joined the show, we were speaking with Ruby from Refugee Action Coalition um, who uh, broke down um, uh, the recent High Court decision um, regarding AJL20 um, and and what that means for refugees and asylum seekers in this country. Um, uh, They have now... um, the High Court has decided to uphold the government's appeal, um, uh, which means that indefinite administrative um, detention uh, is now lawful. 
So Fung spoke earlier about um, an incredible event that took place in Nam um, on the 26th of June 2021, which was just this last weekend, uh, which was an event hosting black and Palestinian poets, artists and activists who came together for a special evening of poetry, performances and discussions. So Salam uh, Radio Show has rebroadcasted this event. Um, the Black Palestinian Poetry Night was organised by Sarah Saleh, Janine Harani from Road to Refuge, and featured a lineup of inspiring and extremely talented poets and writers, including Michaela Sahar, Sama Sabawi, Luniuk, Lujan Harani, and Tony Birch. So today we have for you Sama Sabawi. Samah clearly needs no introduction, <laughs> but I'm going to introduce her anyway. Um, Samah is an author, playwright, scholar, commentator and poet who wages what she calls beautiful resistance through her art and work. She's a recipient of multiple awards, both nationally and internationally. Her theatre credits include the critically acclaimed plays Tales of a City by the Sea and Them, and we should be looking out for Them. Yes, which is um, touring 28th of July, Arts Centre Melbourne, be there for them. Um, she's also co-edited, um, the co-editor of Double Exposure, Plays of the Jewish and Palestinian Diasporas, and the winner of the Patrick O'Neill Award and co-author of I Remember My Name, um, edited by Vasey Vlasner, which was the winner of the Palestine, Palestine Book Award. She is the host of the webinar podcast series, The Book Room, her poems are published in magazines and books, including West End Presses, With Our Eyes Wide Open, and Just World Books, Gaza Unsilenced. Her essays and op-ed pieces appear in various media outlets, including The Australian, Al Jazeera, Al Ahram, The Globe and Mail, The Age, and The Sydney Morning Herald. Samar received a Doctor of Philosophy from Victoria University for her thesis titled Inheriting Exile, Transgenerational Trauma and the Palestinian-Australian Identity. What Samah has not done is not worth doing. Welcome. So good to be here and to see everyone, uh, even with your faces behind the masks. It's great. Thank you so much for the introduction. Thank you for the organizers. Thank you, Janine and Sarah, for dreaming this up. And it's a real honor for me to be doing this with my co-poets today. So thank you. I like to always um, begin with my own um, acknowledgement to country. I acknowledge the original owners of the land we live upon and the original owners of the land where I come from the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Palestinian people under occupation. And to pay my respect to our elders, past and present, who safeguard our history, the Hakawatis and weavers of Dreamtime stories forever embedded in our memory. And I'd like to express my outrage for black children in incarceration 
and for Palestinian children in arbitrary detention and for families pulled apart and fragmented by the occupation and to acknowledge the traditional women of our lands, those who carve life from the sacred earth and breathe into it indigenous pride and those who give birth at the checkpoints and on the roadside and to acknowledge the men who still stand dignified, their heads held high, unbent by the oppression. And may I express my admiration for those of you resisting with us the horrors of settler colonies and those who march with us for equality beyond the rhetorical apology, the meaningless sorry and the dazzling facade of Western civility. I come from colonized land. I stand on colonized land. And here I pay my respect to all freedom fighters, past and present. Palestine will be free, and this land will always be Aboriginal. My first uh, poem that I'm going to read today, I'm going to regret reading it tomorrow because it's new. I started writing it two days ago, so it hasn't actually gone through the process, um, but I thought I'd try it out anyway because I'm sick of my older poems. Uh, so this one kind of um, was in reaction to, uh, I don't know if you watched on the news a few weeks ago, some artist in Italy sold an empty space as an installation art for a fortune. And it made me reflect on um, the idea of art, um, expensive art, and white privilege, and what it means to me as an artist. I admit it. Okay, I admit it. I am jealous. I can't write a column about a dress or some gossip-worthy actress or sell you splashed paint on canvas and call it art. I just can't play the part. I walk out on more theaters than I stay in, disturbed by all the money that's thrown on navel-gazing. It literally does my head in. Surely there is more than this. I clinch my fist, I raise my voice, I hold my placard high, and I shout, I'm here in this installation, in this theatrical production, in this protest. Art is all around me, on the walls of the city, on the faces of the homeless, in the smiles of the hungry. Art is all around you, too, if only you would open your eyes and see. I clinch my fist, I raise my voice, I hold my placard high and I shout from the river to the sea, black lives matter, Palestine will be free, always was, always will be, end deaths in custody, aboriginal land never ceded, save our humanity, global climate action now, save the birthing trees, life outside the exclusive white platforms it is messy it is terrible actually it's unfair it's brutal but it's beautiful and it's real at least that's what it is for me and while somewhere in italy an artist just sold an empty space for a fortune to protest some societal norm Millions will sleep on the streets, no space reserved for them. Can you understand the venom of capitalism and broken dreams? I admit it. I admit it. I am jealous. I wish I knew less. 
I wish I can splash blue on canvas and call it sky. I wish I could write a, a poem about a flower or a column about dressing for power or a novel about a love affair. I wish I could live without a care. Find an ocean of apathy and dump in it all this stupid empathy. I wish I could. I really do. I wish I could, but I can't. I am bound to this agony. My heart won't let me. And the color of my skin, it will never set me free. So, uh, <clears throat> and that was Samar Sabawi at uh, the Black Palestinian Poetry event that happened this weekend. So you're um, tuned into 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, and the time uh, it's just before 8:15. Um, so in year 11. This is going back quite a few years ago. <laughs> I remember coming home from school most days and turning on the TV to watch 1700 on Channel 31. And I remember enjoying the community aspect of the show and discovering local bands. Until very recently, Channel 31, as well as Channel 44 in Adelaide, Australia's only remaining community television station, <laughs> had been told they had to stop broadcasting after June 30 and switch to an online-only model. However, a vote in the House of Representatives last Wednesday saw their licence extended until 2024. Lauren Colosimo joins us on the show this morning um, from Channel 31 to talk, uh, talk to us about this incredible result and the importance of community television. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so can you tell us about um, uh, what it's been like at Channel 31 these last few years, having had to um, wait until the last minute to to um, uh, have the licence extended for another 12 months? What's that been like for everyone? Yeah, it's um, certainly been a pretty unstable time. Uh, so I've been a staff member with the station since about February last year, but... Um, long-time volunteer and freelancer. I also got my start on 1700 in uni. Oh, great. Um, so, yeah, very, very, um, show this very close to my heart. Mm. Uh, but with the short-term extensions, it does make it very difficult to really do, do any long-term planning or, or make any real impactful change because we're always just kind of looking to get to the next, um, extension and, and to, to make that campaign again. Um, but with the three years now, that's really a huge uh, weight off our shoulders. It means that we can make some yeah, real changes or, or put in some real long-term plans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, every year you're planning your programs, uh, you're looking, you can't really look ahead to the future, can you? Because the, the future is so uncertain. So so three years is, is, um, is an amazing um, achievement. Um, how did this all, um, where did this all begin um, with the decision to switch to an online-only model? Yeah, uh, look, I think it started back in 2014 um, when Malcolm Turnbull was communications minister and we're still not really sure why that decision was made. Um, we aren't funded by the federal government. Uh, we're pretty pretty self-funded through ads from local businesses and um, grants and other things. Um, and the state, the, the frequency isn't going to be used for anything else. So I think, I mean, that's all been said in many times before. Um, so, yeah, we're not really sure why that decision was made, uh, but it was made a long time ago and it's been continuing for the last seven years. So really glad that we get it. 
a yeah. break from that now. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so you say you've um, you've um, worked um, uh, at Channel 31 since uh, early last year, but you've been volunteering and, and been a freelancer there for a really long time. Um, what are some of the shows that you've worked on and, and what does community television mean to you personally? Yes, it look, it means a lot to me. Like I said, first show I volunteered on and and the uh, first sort of paid work I got was through 31. Um, so like I said, 1700 is really close to my heart and I, I still uh, liaise with the, the 1700 crew once a fortnight when they come in and I'm really glad to just see that still going on. Um, I also worked on a lot of live uh, sport broadcasts, mm-hmm. so the local, local uh, football finals and grand finals. Um, the lots of in-house, in-studio sort of talk shows that we did uh, a few years ago, um, and currently I'm um, overseeing the production of most of our in-house content, our docu series, which we've got a suite of five uh, brand new series that are being released weekly at the moment. Yeah, that's sounds... so. Oh, sorry, continue, yeah. please. <laughs> no, that's all right. And I mean, what, that's what it means to me. It's been an opportunity for me to to be part of the industry and to to make creative content but I guess what it means to the community the wider community is a lot more as well um, definitely similarly for media professionals it's, it's an opportunity for, for them to experience the industry and probably the only way that you can kind of experience um, these roles as an entry-level media professional um, but for the wider community we have definitely been a, a voice for underrepresented um people and and things that aren't represented on mainstream TV. And one thing we're really proud of, particularly during the, the lockdowns, is we've been able to air weekly religious services mm. um, for a number of religions and the people that follow across Melbourne. So that's something that people have been really thankful for when they haven't been able to get out to, to worship with their community. They've still been able to turn to Channel 31. Yeah, um, I think, you know, sometimes people... Uh, regard TV or television as, as um, you know, something that you do on your own. You know, you're watching it in your own homes. And but, but something about community television is is that it's quite special in bringing people together. And and that sounds incredible that you were able to reach out to the community in such an important way, uh, in such a meaningful way um, last year during lockdown. Um, have you heard from the community, from the wider community, about um, this uh, three-year extension? Um, have you been able to celebrate with them? I know it's been only like a week since you <laughs> received the news, but, yeah, what have you heard from your viewers? Yeah, definitely. Our community is amazing and they're so um, vocal. You know, we often get calls, like I'll, I'll come into the office and um, have quite a few messages on our answering machine of people just saying, so glad that you're still around. Mm. Um and, you know, messages on, on our social media and all of that. So, I'd, yeah, I'd really love to thank our community for just being so supportive and uh, for calling up and seeing how they could help or sending us messages and seeing how they could help. Uh, definitely, I think everybody's love and um, support for the station is what has kept it going for so long um, and made it get through, get this amendment passed. Um, in terms of celebrating, we are looking toward to the Antenna Awards, which is our sort of semi-regular award show to celebrate the content on both our station and Adelaide 44. So that's mm. happening in on September 18th now. So that'll be a good opportunity for us to celebrate with all of our producers. 
hopefully in real life. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, fingers crossed that you'll be able to, um, yeah, come together and, and, and celebrate um, the channel and, and the long history of, of community television, um, uh, especially in Melbourne and Geelong, um, but also for Adelaide as well. Um, I think, you know, here at 3CR, we always talk about the importance of, of community radio and, and, and how, um, like you were saying, we prioritise voices of, of those who are underrepresented and also discriminated against in mainstream media. Um, and in return, we get so much love and support from the wider community to help keep us on air. And I imagine that is very much the same for community television, um, uh, especially, you know, when we've got an increase of um, like streaming services and and um, yeah things like Netflix and and YouTube and all those other things. I think it's still important to remember that a lot of people do love and rely on community led and run media for not just news but for entertainment. Yeah, certainly, and and there still are quite a lot of people who aren't digitally literate, and mm. we did learn that in particularly in the last, um, not this year's switch-off, but the 2020 switch-off, uh, when we were you know, in the midst of the pandemic, um, quite a lot of our senior uh, audience is a senior audience and they're, they're not ready to move to online. So that was a pretty scary time for them, thinking they would lose access to, to their shows or to their you know news outlet. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a supplement to online, of course. But we all love using online and mm. it's the way we're going, but it, it's still a vital... Um, medium. Totally, definitely. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us on the show um, this morning, Lauren. Um, and for our listeners out there, um, uh, I'm sure there are many people out there who have been a long-time fan of Channel 31 or or perhaps if you're new to the channel, um, please uh, tune in um, and, and support uh, community television. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks. So that was um, Lauren Colosimo from uh, Channel 31 speaking to us about um, some of the challenges that the station um, has faced in recent years um, due to um, Malcolm Turnbull's uh, decision to move to online only back in uh, 2014. So it's great to hear that um, both Channel 31 here in Melbourne and Geelong and also Channel 44 in Adelaide have been granted a three-year extension because, um, yeah, it really does provide... Um, uh, a lot for, for the community and, as Lauren was saying, provide um, people who are interested in working in the media with um, uh, an entry point into that profession. Great. So we're just going to go to a quick announcement and then we'll be right back. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards Plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Just before the show wraps up, we thought we'd just... uh remind everyone and um, I guess mention what's coming up next week. Of course, next week is NADOC week um, where the theme this year is Hill Country. 
uh, which is a call for all of us to continue to seek greater protections for our lands, our waters, our sacred sites and our cultural heritage from exploitation, desecration and destruction. And, you know, 3CR... Uh, has an array of brilliant broadcasts and programs uh, that, with the aim of amplifying First Nations voices, but particularly wanted to just mention um, Beyond the Bars, which uh, happens every week during NADOC Week and is an absolutely incredible program. If you haven't heard of Beyond the Bars, it's a unique series of uh, live prison radio broadcasts that give voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. So the broadcasts are presented uh, by 3CR's First Nations broadcasters uh, during NADOC Week, which is next week. Um, and it actually began in 2002, and each year it features songs, stories, opinions, and poems from the men and women inside, whilst, you know, also connecting them with their culture and community. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, will be kind of spread out throughout the week and broadcasted each day. So we'll be literally live from the prisons as well this year, which is really exciting because it couldn't happen last year. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and 3CR will have rolling coverage uh, across NADOC week and we will have some themed shows and interviews as well. Um, it's also coming to the end of the month and we still have our Radiothon fundraiser going. So if you'd like to get in some last-minute donations before the end of financial year, don't forget you can call 94198377 or text 0488809855 to pledge to 3CR. Yeah, we're nearly at our target, like so close. <laughs> Every pledge matters. And, and you can be the reason we make the target. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we, and people have been so generous to Tuesday Breakfast. Please donate to all the shows that we have. And, you know, as we've talked about Beyond the Bars, there are so many different and amazing shows on 3CR. For sure, definitely. And also just um, quickly mention upcoming next week. Um, so the Senate uh, during this last week has voted to reject critical race theory from the national curriculum. And this was a move that was pushed mostly by Senator Pauline Hanson, um, where the, uh, who didn't want critical race theory, which is, you know, an academic theory developed primarily by black scholars and activists to highlight systematic and institutional nature of racism uh, to not be introduced in national curriculum. So I also hope to speak to some of the authors of a, a brilliant article that was published by The Conversation about this move and specifically getting into, I guess, you know, why it's important that critical race theory enters the curriculum. Yeah, and just in addition to that, I'm, I'm hoping to speak to... Um, uh, uh, someone called Hannah Yarrod who wrote or who actually, yeah, compiled a bunch of um, uh, research around um, literature exploring racism and racial bias in Australian primary schools um, because, you know, a lot of the time you hear that narrative that, that children are too young to understand race and racism and, and they're too young to have those discussions. But, in fact, this um, this uh, research paper... Um, actually says the opposite, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone here. We know how switched on children can be. So um, stay tuned to uh, Tuesday Breakfast next week for some great conversations around yeah, CRT and also um, racism and, and racial bias in, in schools. Yep. Um, so we had a pretty big show today. Uh, we had 
Louise Good, um, on, as her neighbour on this morning, Sean, talking to us about renters' rights. Mm. Um, we also had, we heard from Lauren Colosimo from Channel 37 about community TV and from Ruby from the Refugee Action, Action Coalition about the High Court's um, upholding the government's appeal against AJL20. Mm. Um, and we will see you all next week. Um, Up next is Giselle Hanna with Accent of Women. And stay tuned for 3CR Breakfast uh, every other day this week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.